at eight years old, we did a show in the school, and uh, it was awesome. And like we did four songs, and from that, it was funny. From that, I had a teacher, Mr. Green, who was a music teacher in the school. He saw us playing, and he's like, "Where'd you learn to play?" And I was like, "We, you know, I just whatever, you know." I was like, "I don't know, you know, we just playing, you know." And he he took me on, and that was it, man. That history is made there. Wow. All right, let's do this. You are listening to Play It Like It's Music, exploring the lives and crafts of the people who play. I'm your host, Trevor Exter, and we're in Harlem today with the legend, Luke Mom Brown, singer of Funk Face, dope Sagittarius, and an accomplished composer, producer, and sound designer. Check out the sound of this brand new dope Sagittarius album, Sacred Places, out this month on Buddha Bug Records. No one can stop me. It's a little messy right now, but you know. I don't trust the studio that's not a little messy. <laughs> these are some beautiful guitars. Are these? What kind of horns are these? Do you what? use these? Oh, this, uh, these are bull horns from like a bull from yeah. steer. It's going to be on my costume. It's <laughs> great. It's a part of my costume so that the horn gives it like this African warrior vibe kind of. Thing. Very intimidating. I know. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it is. State your name and instrument. Uh, my name is Luke Mon Brown. I play guitar and a little trombone. Let's start by just describing what we see in front of us. Well, we got here my home studio. It's two screens, uh, speakers, computer, everything in here. I got an isolation booth. Microphone in there, some you know equipment to start off. Sitting at a table, <laughs> you know, with the desk. Got some keyboards over here. Uh, processor, uh, sampler here, and subwoofer over there. We got guitars, trombone, tons of stuff. You know. This strat looks cool. Yeah, man, that's... Is that a telly neck on the strap? Yes, it's a strap mix with the telly neck. It's got a... That's a bad, man. That was custom made at a Guitar Center. Under Guitar Center. At a 30th Street Guitars. Big fat difference yeah, there. right? Big fat difference. Uh, 30th Street Guitars. He, It's really nice, man. It's green and gold. Gold for the honey, green for the money. So I call it a guitar bishop. <laughs> All right. Oh, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And uh, we're not going to let the banner go unremarked. Oh, yeah. we got the Funk Face banner on the wall. It's white. It's pretty cool. It's really old. And, uh, yeah, man, Funk Face was the band. I started that band in 87? 87. So we've been playing since 87. Still playing today. I mean, at that time, I think... We were like, there was a bridge between the old BRC 
and bands like that, and then we were like the new generation, you know? And I think we came at a time, it was kind of perfect. There weren't many bands at that time in New York City, believe it or not. And when we did play, we played the right gigs. It was funny, man, but we never like, never got famous, you know? We played with everybody, toured all over the world, and just never got the, that push to go to the next level. Did you miss a period of acclimatizing, or were you happy to have the, the surprises and, the, and the, the momentum right away? I, I think that, I don't know, man. I don't, I, I don't think I would have had it any other way, you know? Did I miss it? I guess I did. I, I don't know. You know, I still feel like I'm trying to get there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's something that it, it has built really slow for me. Like, I know we were kind of famous on the scene, but I don't think too many people knew us outside of the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been faster. <laughs> Why do you play music? Wow. Oh, man. Why do I play music? Wow. I think one for, I, I love it. One for the love, you know, the, the, to play the guitar and jump around on stage and scream out loud. That's part of it, the creativity. And wow, I guess now it's for money. <laughs> yeah. You know? Tell me about the, the visual side, because uh, I don't have that. I, I just try and like wear clean clothes to the gig. <laughs> but you have a whole, like that's really part of your statement, like how you put, put, it, put the whole thing together visually. I guess it's because of my dad, right? My dad is a playwright. He works in the theater. And whenever he's like doing one of his plays or something, he was, uh, you know, in costume. And Funkadelic was really the, you know, the first band I'd really seen. So I thought that it's always been my way to dress up as funky as possible. You know, I always thought that that look was what put the whole thing together. It's like a part of the package. You got, you know, you got your band, you got to dress funky as hell. And then you got to be able to play badass, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it was that was what it was about, you know. That's very succinct. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> I think I think the power of the band is in the look, you know, you got to be able to play good, too. But I think the look is really, really important. There's another band you got called Dope Sagittarius. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, Dope Sagittarius was, uh, I, I needed to go solo. I needed to do something different because I'd been playing in this band like 25, 30 years, you know. And uh, I started Dope Sagittarius as a way to kind of just my voice. I, I needed to learn how to play by myself, play more, because I sang mostly in funk face. And I've been playing guitar for a long time. So I, I really wanted a, a band that I could play guitar, work out my melodies, work out my, my singing and stuff, and really focus on something different. Yeah. It wasn't just 
how we play in Funk Face, it's a combined effort. You know, every nothing is written by one person. You know, we did a lot of songs where we all play something and it, we just work it out and then we have that song. But this this band I wanted to have to, I, I kind of had a concept and I really wanted to work that concept out and, you know, just put together something that was me, more me than anything. video is crazy i know right <laughs> i i got uh i had this video done by this guy morgan freeman there's a white morgan freeman <laughs> and he was like a, a do parties in the city so he worked it out so that we could have the studios at youtube studios downtown so it's like in the that market on 14th street it's like if you're on YouTube and have a channel, you got to have like 100,000 to get in that okay. studio. You got to have 100,000 viewers checking you out just to get in the studio. But he got us in the studio for like 300 bucks. And, you know, it was kind of dope. And they lend you all the equipment you could possibly need to make a video. So, you know, it was... Uh, you know, I don't even know how much this cost, but the camera was called the Dragon Red. And yeah. it's like, you know, the red yeah, yeah. are like really good cameras. And we had dollies and all kinds of holders for the guitar, for the instrument, I mean, for the camera. And, you know, it was just yeah. major production. Wow. But the whole thing cost me like, I think a thousand dollars, you know, to make that video that looks like, $30,000 or more, you know? No, it's a crazy video. And, you know, you think about like, making music and music videos are part of part of the art. Right. It's not just like promoting the music through the video. It's like, no, the video is definitely part of the product. Totally. But it's also, 
an investment. It's a loss leader. It's like videos are rarely profitable in among themselves. I mean, it's it's like kind of a necessary evil. It's amazing how much money I spend in the studio on all my equipment and it's it's crazy it's really crazy and then you don't make any money off a video you know you put it on there and then hope that people see it you know you got to get it in rotation somewhere constantly calling people to you know put it on their site and all kinds of things it's nuts what was music like as an experience before you started playing well it was it was everything for me um I was in church actually and uh I couldn't I couldn't understand anything. You know, I was like really little. I was like 7 or 8. And we went to church and the church uh the choir, the preacher, everything was relatives. You know, the whole choir was rel related to me. The preacher was related to me and it was a family reunion and my whole family, extended family, was in this church in North Carolina. And the preacher was my Uncle Lucius. The whole choir was made up of my family. And he was preaching to the choir, and then he said, let's forget all this preaching, let's sing some hymns. And he pulls out an electric guitar from behind the podium, and he's like, He's riffing on this guitar, and the drummer and the bass player, and they're. I'm like, this is dope, and it was really like the first kind of chance I had to interact with any kind of music. So, right in the deep end. Yeah, right in the deep end, and I was like, yo, and I was really young at that point, and I the after I heard them do that, my father took me when I was like. Seven years old, he took me to the Apollo to see Funkadelic. So I saw a church band, and then I saw Funkadelic. It was like watching superheroes, like really like gods. And the the cool thing was the the church people, you know, the church folks were. I mean, this was amazing to me. But then when I saw Funkadelic. All those capes, all those costumes, you know, like they were like all dressed up like some kind of superhero for like their generation. You know, it was like, it was insane, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it was, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And I mean, Bootsy was in the band, you know, and they did some of Bootsy's songs at that time, you know, like Bootsy, hear you scream, Bootsy. And I was like, oh my God. God, like this is insane, yeah. and I was hooked right there and then, and that was, I was hooked. As far as the first physical time I played, I asked my parents, like right after that, <laughs> uh, to get me a guitar. So they got me an acoustic guitar kind of thing, and it was, it was cool, you know. It was like, I, and I, I had the idea to start my own band and I was like eight or nine and uh, I think I have a picture somewhere I have to show you but I started my own band and the the guy who in that band I had these two guys in the band Tyrone and George 
And I wrote the music, but I didn't want to be known as the mu- the leader of the band. So, like, all the girls like George, right? <laughs> and his name was George Equestrian, okay. right? So I was like, you know, he was a Spanish dude, you know, Puerto Rican dude. And, and that's a name for the ages. I though. know, that's a name, right? <laughs> George Equestrian, you know? And I knew at an early age that the name of the band was important. It's funny, like, I saw Funkadelic, I saw how it was, and I had an instant feeling of how to do it, you know, how to be in a band. And so I got, it's funny, I got this guy, George Equestrian, and I said, look, we're going to name the band after you. He's like, what do you mean? I said, we're going to call it GE and the Electrics. (laughs) Right? So, and he was the drummer, so, you know, the girls would like him, and I'd give him stuff, and we did... At eight years old, we did a show in the school, and uh, it was awesome. And like we did four songs, and from that, it was funny. From that, I had a teacher, Mr. Green, who was a music teacher in the school. He saw us playing, and he's like, "Where'd you learn to play?" And I was like, "We, you know, I just whatever, you know." I was like, "I don't know, you know, we just playing, you know," and he. He took me on, and that was it, man. That history is made there. Wow. So it's just like right, right from that early, almost golden age, you're doing it. <laughs> it was, yeah, man. It was like, and that was the perfect time, you know, like the bands that were around during that time, like the 70s and early 80s, it was insane, man. I mean, like there was so much music, and, you know, like, even Bad Brains in in the 70s, like, I was blown away, you know? Like, I was like a little kid, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, it was it was the best.
long does it take you to write a song? It depends, you know. I, sometimes I get the best songs are five minutes, like that one. <laughs> like that song, I wrote it five minutes, it's out. And then, you know, sometimes it takes forever, you know. Like there's songs that it just takes me so long to get them to put together, you know. I get like a melody, or something. That song kind of just came out. Like I got, I found the chords, and I was like, "What? What can I do to, to get the lyrics?" And it, oh, this is it, you know. Uh, it's a song about brunch and how I can, you know, <laughs> you know. It's like the culture of New York is, you know, go out late, you know, go out all night, pick up hot chicks, sleep with the chicks, and then you go to brunch, and then you never see them again. <laughs> You know, like that kind of shit. So <laughs> I wrote a song, you know, about brunching, you know. <laughs> I thought it was it was be a cool, you know, transition and stuff. Can you turn up the volume? Face it this way. Yeah. Don't you know, baby, how I feel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't. Oh man, I haven't played in a while. has all these great harmonics in it yeah man I, I love to sing you know without my voice i am nothing you know so <laughs> you said you started funk face in the 80s how did that how did that project emerge onto the scene can you take us back to there wow i remember it's really funny man like we we started and got like famous right away you know in the scene uh, I remember I joined the band and we would, we played three gigs and it was, it went for three gigs and then we got blown up. Wow. So the first gig was in a loft and it was like some stupid gig. And we, I mean, we played the, <laughs> the songs we played there were like ridiculous. It was not good at all. Then we had a girlfriend who was in NYU. And what she did was she booked the bands that came to play at Loeb Center, right? And she was, she was like, you know, anytime a band would come to play Loeb Center, she would get us to open. Okay. So the first band that opened was 24-7 Spies, and we opened for them. And believe it or not, after that gig, they got signed to a record deal at the Loeb Center, and I remember Jimmy was really cool, and those guys were really cool. And uh, so that was the second gig that we played. We played that. And then the, the third gig we played at the Loeb Center was Fishbone, was with Fishbone. And now Fishbone was really huge. So she got us to open up for them. So 
And that was it. Like, we opened two times at the Loeb Center, and one with 24-7 Spies, the next with Fishbone, and that was it. Like, people were like, who are these <laughs> Who are these guys? They're opening up for all these great big bands. Yeah. And so after that, we just started playing the scene. Like, we, three gigs, you know? And it was over the course of uh, four months. And then uh, we started playing. We got good. And what we did was we, we, to come into New York, you had to open for us. Mm-hmm. So everybody, like people were calling us to want to be down. And it was like weird, like, like the mighty boss tones called. And then they opened for us. Then uh, I, we actually opened up for Bad Brains and, and then HR by himself. It, it was crazy. Like then it just took off. And then we were playing all over the place, and and like we just kept at it. And then the next link that got us to a bigger level than that, we played for quite a few years, and uh, I think it was five years. And then uh, Murphy's Law had this big party up in Boston, and we played at that party. And that was it. Like, we got all, everybody came to that party. People were like, it was like uh, thousands of people. And it was like an outdoor thing. And it was our first outdoor thing. And it was really fun, man. It was kind of crazy, everybody wilding out, you know? And and that was what blew us up. That th- Those three instances gave us the name, you know? Wow. Those, are, uh, those are good gigs to start out with. What separates the professional from the amateur? These days, not much. You got to think that the professional, wow, you know, the professional is doing it all the time, every day. They're practicing at home constantly, like me. (laughs) Um, They're constantly pushing, you know, to get more gigs. Get, get around more, like like Ronnie Drayton, he's a professional in the utmost because that's all he does is play guitar and he travels the world like that. Um, the amateur, they don't, they don't, they'll travel the world, but they don't do it for like life or blood, you know, they, they're strictly for the love and, you know, sometimes they get picked up and then become professional, but yeah, I think I think that the professional is the one who constantly does it, and the the hobbyist is you know one who does it you know on the weekends. I, I I'm sitting here you know in my house before you came, and I'm thinking like, what am I gonna do next? You know, like I had I've done all this stuff. You know, I've I've had. Funk Face has done it all. Building this new band, Dope Sagittarius, has been like really scary for me because I have to build this band from scratch. And music is not even accepted the same way anymore. So as I'm trying to build this, you know, I have a little name so people know who I am and I can uh, play songs and music to, for, you know, with that name. 
But still, you know, there's a new generation that's out there and I have to start all over. So I don't know if I feel like, you know, like a, a fame thing like that. You know, it's it's really hard work, you know, and I have to I have to really recreate myself to do this. So, I mean, in trying to recreate myself, I had to go do other things to make money. You know, I don't know if it's levels like that, but what I, I had to do sound design for a theater, you know, and that's like writing songs or making sounds uh, for theater. You do a fair amount of that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much what I do for money, you know. Like, I, uh, I do the theater stuff, I do radio stuff, I do some stuff for television and movies. But the movie stuff's it's coming along, you know, like it's 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 weird because I'm really a performer and I love to be on stage, you know, and it's it's kind of hard to reinvent yourself. And then, you know, I'm always questioning if I'm doing the right thing, if I've if I've left, I'm doing this theater stuff like I should be focusing on my playing with the band and it's really hard you know yeah. yeah it's like the tip jar kind of thing you know i mean we that's what it is now man we play for tips pretty much you know there's no record deals giving you anything that all that's gone i have a similar difficulty i think a lot of people do uh navigating that divide between the creative side and the the work that goes into just the creativity and then the promotional side which sometimes has creative elements but usually is a grind you know it's like if it's if you're if you're happiest being in the studio creating or working on yourself and then having to promote something like it it kind of takes me out of my creative head when i have to go do that and then right in the middle you got the uh art of performance which is kind of both at once performing is a creative act and yet a lot of people don't perform because it can be seen as promotion, even though it's, it's art in itself. If, if they're imaginary, like three areas, the area of pure creativity, the area of performance, and the area of pure promotion. Uh, is there one of those where you're happiest? Oh, yeah, man. And that performing is, is everything. You know, like that's to me is the art form, you know, like, write the song. I, I am an extremely good improviser, so, like, writing the songs, preparing them, going on stage, performing it, that that's where it's at for me. The creating the music at home when you're in the studio, I really like. Um, and it's fun, you know, like I can, I can come up with right, you know, lyrics right off the cuff or a riff, but I swear to you, man, that performing is it. And like, I have this band, Dope Sagittarius, like is ready to perform, you know, like we get out, we, we can go, but I had a little issue, you know, I had a little health issue and I haven't been able to perform all summer. And what that promotional part or the, the performance part is based on momentum. So 
once you're going, you got to keep it going. You know what I mean? And that I, I think it'll get back to where it is, you know, but you got to get the word out, yeah. you know, and like, that's all I know how to do. You know how to do it yeah. is to do the performance. Yeah. Wow. After, you know, the, whatever the, the issue I had in the hospital, I couldn't perform, but now I have to go get back into it. So I'm going to go with Burnt Sugar out to Seattle to do this blues review kind of thing. And that, that will help me warm up and yeah. get it going again. Yeah, because it's not just the performing. There's the conditioning of travel and being able to, you know, take all that abuse. And if you're hurt, you know, injured, that's like kind of tough yeah, yeah. on you, you know. We've been out there. Oh, man. Yeah. You can't really... It's hard to get yourself together, put all you know, get all the instruments together, get all your music together, get in a in a car, and you know, travel <laughs> all over the place. It, it can be tough when you're ill. What should a newer player avoid completely at all costs? Buying a lot of equipment. Get your axe, whatever that is. Be it your voice your guitar, your piano, and stick to that. Learn that. Learn it through and through. Then maybe decide if you want to go over to another instrument. But learn it so good that you, you don't, you know, like buying all this shit that you need to do your stuff. Like just get that guitar and stick with that forever. Forever. And then, you know, maybe go buy some stuff. Also, get out of your head. You know, like, I am so in my head about shit. Like, I learned from Greg Tate, who's in Burnt Sugar, that you can make an album any old way. You know, you don't have to, to do all this shit to make it sound any specific way. Just do the record. Do what you want. You know, put it down. Just put it down on paper. Get out of your head. Put it on paper. Don't think too much. Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's it. I appreciate you uh, talking to us today, Lukman. Yo, this is really great. It's nice. Thanks very much. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, how about that? That was Luke Mon Brown. You can find him at lukemonbrown.nyc. That's L-U-Q-M-A-N-Brown.nyc. His Twitter and Instagram handle is at Dope Sagittarius. And you can also buy the album at dopesagittarius.com. Let's check some of it out. Black Empress of the Sun. so much for listening to the show it means everything to have your ears and support each time you pass the link to your friends review us on the web and help out financially 
These are the players I admire the most, and as a working musician myself, I'm always looking to get to know them in a deeper way, find out stuff that might help me become a better musician. I love sharing these moments with you and reading your feedback and questions at our website, playitlikeitsmusic.com, where you can browse other episodes and support the show. We are 100% listener-funded. It's how we can have the conversation we need to have in an age when we're all contending with a mutating professional landscape, jacked revenue streams, and a lot of noise out there in the culture. These are exciting times. It's almost as if the simple act of playing an instrument is a revolutionary one. We don't draw any lines between scenes or styles. So if you haven't done it already, head over to the website and join the community. You can use PayPal or make a recurring pledge through Patreon, where we offer a selection of merch and rewards. As always, thank you for listening, and remember to play it like it's music. I'm Trevor Exeter.